book of St. Matthew. St. Matthew, please. Chapter 9. We're going to read verses 35 through 38. St. Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Praise God. Did you all learn anything from the series on thinking big, praying boldly, expecting much? Amen. Praise God. I don't want you to leave that. Let that carry you through the rest of this year and the rest of your lives. That that's how God wants us to operate. To think big. Think on his level. Amen. And I know we, we're not necessarily doing it yet on his level, but hopefully you've been spurned, uh, spurred rather to think a little bigger than you have been. And to let yourself, uh, Pastor Kim preached a message in the middle called Let Him Be Great. And uh, to let him be great, we have to start to think on a higher level. Amen? And so thinking big, uh, begin to pray boldly, because we're praying in confidence right now, right? If we ask him to think according to his will, we know he hears us, and we know if he hears us, we also have the things we ask him for. So we pray boldly, and then we have the right to expect much. Because he said that you know you have what you ask for. So we're to expect much, and I want you to, to prepare yourself so much. Amen? Believe God to do great things. Praise God. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's move on from that. Praise God. Are you in Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38? Yes, sir. Okay, let's read those verses together um, as soon as you stand. Praise God. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Let's read together. Ready? Read. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. He said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Tonight I want to talk on the subject, this is a job for the church. This is a job for the church. Father God, tonight, thank you so much for giving us opportunity to spend this time in your word. I ask that you give me, Lord, divine utterance, give me divine unction, Lord, tonight. I pray that your people will have hearing and seeing and the receiving hearts, oh God, tonight, that the word will fall and fall upon good ground and produce what you said it to produce. Have your way. We thank you for the outcome and the results from the word of God in our lives and in this city. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. Praise God. I've been talking about how God has been seeking out people uh, in every generation and every uh, family and every region who are going to do his will, yes, right? And if you recall, uh, Adam lost everything. Adam, when Adam sinned, when Adam betrayed God, as we say Adam committed high treason in the Garden of Eden, uh, everything was lost. That connection that we had with God, that image and that likeness we had with God, everything was lost. Uh, man was now plunged into sin. And there was now a, a, a serious disconnect between heaven and earth. And God had to find somebody to help restore that. So God in every generation would find somebody. Remember God found a man uh, named Noah. The earth had gotten so wicked. Everybody, in fact, the Bible says the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually. And, but God found Noah. Uh, Noah's father, Lamech, named him Noah. Uh, his name literally means rest. But he said in Genesis uh, uh, 6, 9, the Bible says that Noah was a just man. 
the Bible says, perfect and blameless, or I'm adding the word blameless and having integrity, in his generations, Noah walked with God. So notice that in his generation, God found Noah, and, God, and Noah walked with God. And Noah was the one that God used to bring the blessing back into the earth. Then we know a few generations later, uh, everything had gone right back to, to pieces. By the time you get to, to Genesis chapter 11, they're building a tower now, trying to establish their own religion, their own world religion. And by the time you get down to chapter 12, we see a man named Abram on the scene. And the, the Bible says in, in Genesis 18, 19, God said, for I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord and go and so on and so forth. So notice that God then finds Abraham in his generation who's now going to teach his children, Isaac. Isaac is going to teach Jacob. And in other, in other words, this, they're, going to, they're going to continue the, 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 the work of God in the earth. Y'all getting this here. We know that God later raised up Moses. He raised up Joshua after Moses. Then we saw God begin to raise up judges in the book of Judges. Then we saw God begin to raise up prophets. Then we saw God raise up kings. And although God wasn't uh, necessarily a fan of King Saul, God had already told the people that, that, that told Moses that the people were going to ask for a king. Right? And so uh, we have King we have King David from where, where we get the lineage that brings us King Jesus. So God finds somebody in every single generation to do his work. Okay? Now what I want to get to you is that the common agenda throughout all of these generations that is that God had a plan. Uh, Genesis 3.15 talks about how God, uh, after Adam had, fa had fallen, Eve had, had sinned, how God said that, that, that the seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. And how, how your, your seed is going to bruise his heel. So from Genesis 3.15 on, we see a redemptive plan of Jesus Christ or of God being worked through generation to generation to generation. I don't have time to do it tonight, but if you were to go through the Old Testament, you could trace what we call the bloodline. You trace the bloodline. I'm not talking about the natural blood of a man. I'm talking about the bloodline where you see a, a, a picture of Jesus Christ, a, a, a prototype of Jesus Christ in every single uh, book in the Bible before you get Jesus Christ on the planet. You see the bloodline laid out. In other words, uh, that, that, that we have a redemptive work of God from Genesis 3.15 being carried out in every generation. Are y'all following this here? So then we get to Jesus Christ when he arrives on the scene. Now he completes that redemptive work on Calvary's cross. When he climbed up on that cross and laid down his life and uh, allowed them to, to pierce him in his hands and pierce him in his feet and to pierce him in his side and to pierce him in his head with that crown of thorns. It was a finished work. John 19, right around verse 30, Jesus says these words, it is finished. It is finished. What's finished? The redemptive work of Christ was finished. The plan God had from Genesis 3.15 was finished on Calvary's cross. Are y'all with me on this tonight? Hallelujah. Now, although the work of redemption was finished, the plan doesn't stop there. Things don't end right there. Because we see that Jesus Christ commissioned his disciples to now go and gather those for whom he paid the price. He did the work of redemption. 
but people had to go and physically be redeemed or snatched from the hand of the enemy. There's a scripture I want you to turn to. Put your eyes on it in Matthew 28, please. This is Bible study, right? So I don't need to holler and hoop tonight, right? Matthew 28, verse uh, 18 through 20. We need to be taught something tonight. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. Hallelujah. It says, and Jesus came and spoke to them. This is after he's been to the cross, after he's been to, to down in hell, after he's been raised from the dead. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So who has all the authority? Jesus. Jesus. So Satan doesn't have any authority, right? So Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. Now watch what he says in the very next verse. Go therefore... What does he say? Go. Go, therefore, because I have this authority in heaven and earth, you now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. King James says, go and teach. That word teach literally means to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then he goes on and says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says, okay, I've done this work. I've gone to Calvary's cross. I've paid the price for the redemption of man. Now go, therefore, and get him. And when you go, I'm going to be with you always. You're not going by yourself. I'm not sending you out there by yourself. I want you to go because I've already have uh, received the authority. I've already paid the price. But that doesn't get people to me until you go and get them. Are y'all hearing me tonight? So we, we call this in the church. How many of y'all know, know we call this that verse? We call it the Great Commission. Everybody say the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now. The question I want to ask, and I, 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 a good friend of mine says this, this statement, I, I, brought, I thought, man, that, that is profound. If you look, understand the order of things, the question is this, did, did God give a mission to his church or did he raise up a church for his mission? Oh wow. Hallelujah. That's the question. Did God or did Jesus give a mission to the church or did he actually raise up a church for the mission? Because if you understand what I've just shown you is that the mission was first. Y'all missed it. The mission pre-existed the church. Okay, let me remind you. Okay, he found Noah. And he found Abraham. And he found, he found Moses. And he found Joshua, right? He raised up uh, judges and he raised up prophets and he raised up kings and he, then he brought Jesus. So notice the mission was always there to redeem mankind back to himself. So the mission preexisted the church. So God, Jesus here wasn't intended to give the mission to the church. He was given the church for the mission. Oh, y'all remember that? Okay, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail, shall not prevail against it. We heard Bishop Vaughn McLaughlin talk about that here at this church, right? 
So he's gonna, he said, I'm going to build my church. Well, when did the church get built? I got a, I got a couple of scholars here. Not until the day of Pentecost. After the resurrection. After the mission was pronounced. So the mission didn't come after the church. In other words, God didn't say, okay, I'm going to birth this, Jesus said, I'm going to birth this church. Then, okay, let, let me figure out what I want them to do. No, he had a plan. God had a plan from Genesis 3.15. In fact, the Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So the mission was always there. He just needed a church for the mission. Are y'all catching this here? Glory to God. So in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we, said that, so we see the church was born. The day of Pentecost was fully come. Y'all remember that? And there, they, we could, if we could put it in our terms, they had 120 charter members of that church. Right? The Bible says they were gathered together up there in the upper room. There were about 120 or so that were there in the upper room. So you have the 120 that are there, and then the first service, their very first service, Peter preaches the very first message of the church, and 3,000 souls were added to them. So the church is birthed, the church is born on that day. So the church is born already having a mission. Are y'all with me tonight? Acts 2.41 talks about, says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That down there in verse 47, is, as it describes uh, how they begin to meet together all the time. Then it says in verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the what? Church. church. Here's the first mention of this word church in the book of Acts. Yes. Jesus has already said it back in Matthew 16, I'm going to build my church now. Here comes the church that he's built. He says, and, and the Lord added to the church daily. He added to the church what? Daily. Those who were being saved. Those who were being saved. So notice God was adding, the, said the Lord, right? This is the people. The Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. Now that word saved comes from the Greek word sozo. I want you to hear what that word means. I know some of y'all heard this before, but just hear what it means. That word sozo literally means to rescue from danger or destruction. It means to rescue from danger or destruction. So he's adding those who are being rescued from danger or destruction. Y'all got to catch this. This isn't just people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. I want you to hear because I'm preaching that this is the job for the church. And I want you to understand that this, this is our mission. So he's adding those who are being rescued from danger or destruction. It means to save a suffering one from perishing. In other words, one suffering from disease. One suffering from disease. It means to make well. It means to heal. It means to restore to health. It means to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. So these are people just coming in there joining the church because they got a youth ministry and they got a praise team and they have, they have a choir that sings and they, they have, they have a love feast and they have a good time. And no, they're, they're, they're being rescued. They're being delivered. They're being, they're being saved. They're, they're, they're being healed.
healed. They're being restored. They're, they're being snatched from the captivity of the wicked one. I don't want you to think this modern day church thing we have when people come, I come fill out a little card and I join the church. I, I fill out my, my little connection form and I'm part of the church now. Because you have people who come and they join the church and never get saved. I'll come over here. They come, they join the church and never get saved. And they, they, they take the, the proverbial church bus all the way to hell. No, it says the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Not those who found the church interesting. Those who are being saved. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me tonight? He's adding those who are being saved, being rescued, being delivered, being salvaged, being healed, being restored, being brought out, being loosed. He's saving daily those who are in trouble. So then that tells me that the church's mission is to rescue trapped people from Satan and the evils of this world. The church's mission, are y'all listening tonight? The church's mission is to rescue trapped people from Satan and the evils of this world. He was added to the, to the church daily those who were being rescued. I don't know if y'all got it. To rescue those, to deliver those, to salvage, to save, to heal, to restore, to bring them out. He, he was adding those who were being rescued daily. I, I want you to see that because when I want you, when I when I when you look at this world, I don't want you to see people and just say, "Well, hey, you you should just join our church." When I'm looking for church members. We're not out here to gather church members. They were being added to the church. They were being rescued. They were being delivered. They are being saved. They are being brought out of darkness into the marvelous light. Hallelujah. They were being gloriously saved, gloriously filled with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Because the people were on fire for God. Thank you, Lord. 120. Set on fire by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Peter preached a message so dynamic, so simple. And he never hooped. He never pulled his ear. He never had a keyboard or organ backing him up. See how quiet y'all are? He never had any of that. And yet 3,000 souls were added to the, to the church. And then they fellowship daily and the people continue steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and they broke bread together and they prayed together and they fasted together, they spent time together on a daily basis and people were began to be added daily who were being saved. Everybody say saved. 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 I remember when I was 12 years old and I was taking swimming lessons. I didn't know how to swim at 12 years old. And I, they, they, you know, when, they, when you do swimming lessons, they throw you out in the deep end. Oh, yes, they do. And they threw me in the deep end. And I didn't know how to swim. And I called out for my mama, Mama! Mama wasn't there. Called out for my daddy, Daddy! My daddy wasn't there. 
my brother William had taken me to swimming lessons. I said, William! But he couldn't come get me. So finally, I hollered, Jesus! And I don't know if Jesus showed up, but all I knew is all of a sudden somebody grabbed me and pulled me up out of that water. I guess it was a lifeguard, but I just know I'm, I'm alive today because I called Jesus. I was dying. I was going down. And I cried out for help. And somebody came and rescued me. They saved. Are y'all hearing this here tonight? So we're saying those who are uh, being saved were added to the church. They weren't just coming and joining like, like a fraternity. They weren't joining like a club, like, you know, you, you, you sign up, you're a, you a public reward member. People come to church like it's a public rewards member to make sure that when I get married, I got a place to get married. I got a, I got a place to be buried. I got a place to... Uh, no, 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 no. I need to be saved. I need to be delivered. I need to be rescued. I need to be brought out. I was trapped on my way to a burning hell and he reached out and rescued me. And I'm telling you that one of the issues is in that why, why so many of y'all seem to be so uh, non-excited about what I'm saying is because you may, may, maybe you're not yet fully saved. You know there. Let me just say this, since you don't like it. You know there are people who get married because they like the idea of marriage. They like the idea of marriage more than marriage itself. And they'll plunge all their time, all their energy, all their efforts, all their money into planning a wedding and have no plans on being married. No plans of submitting, no plans of leading, no plans of being faithful. But the idea of marriage so intrigued them. So there are people who like, you know, I'm just I'm just tell you the truth. There are people who talked about this the other night. There are people who like like the idea of church. There are people who, who they like the church music. They like how it feels. It appeases them when they hear uh, church or spiritual music because I feel inspired. But they're still plunged in sin. And still under the captivity of the wicked one. Because they've not yet been saved. Hallelujah. The night is far past, the summer's end, and my people are not yet saved. Thank you, Lord. So our mission is to rescue trapped people from Satan and the evils of this world. 2 Timothy 2, verse 24 to 26. I want to read this in the Living Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26. 24 through 26. Look at what it says. God's people, y'all listening? Yes, God's people must not be quarrelsome. They must be gentle, patient teachers of those who are wrong. Now, this is talking about how you and I deal with the world. We must not be quarrelsome. Just because somebody's Jehovah Witness or somebody's an atheist or a Buddhist and they have all kind of doctrinal craziness, don't be quarrelsome. Don't go arguing with people trying to make your point. Argumentativeness is a sign of error. 
It's a sign of error. Let them argue. And they're going to argue because they're in error. But when, you're, when you know the truth, you don't have to argue. You don't have to fuss. So don't be quarrelsome. It says they must be, we must be gentle, patient teachers of those who are wrong. This is talking about how you and I approach the world. Verse 25, verse 25. Be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. Glory to God. Be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and what? Courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe what is true. So notice the, the Bible says in Proverbs that sweetness of lips increases learning. Y'all ever read that in Proverbs every, every month? Sweetness of lips increases learning. So when you and I use sweet lips, when you and I are nice, when we're courteous, when we're not quarrelsome, when we're not fighting and argumentative, people are more inclined to listen to us. Thank you, Jesus. So be humble when you're trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously, courteously implies that you have some level of respect. I may totally disagree with your lifestyle, your way of thinking, your religion, your lack of religion, your, your braggadociousness about your lack of religion and how you hate God, but you have a right to hate God. I didn't say you're right. I said you have a right. Because God made us, made, us, made us free will, free moral agents. So he gave us the right to feel how we want to feel. So when somebody hates God or hates your God, don't argue with them. No, you be gentle. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, the more you argue, the more you drive a wedge and drive people away. You know the reason why you argue? Y'all, y'all awake? Yes, the reason why you argue because you want to be right. Yes, because you want to win. Right. And what happens in your desire to win, the Bible says in, in many words, sin is not lacking. Then it says, the Bible says in Proverbs that a brother offended is harder to be won than a, than a strong city. Than a walled city. So what happens is in our desire to be right, to get our point across, we offend the sinner that we're supposed to be winning. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Y'all, are y'all getting this here? So tell you your neighbor, be nice. Just be nice. Be nice. You don't have to agree with them. Just be nice. You don't, you don't have to accept their lifestyle, but just be nice. Be courteous. Because we're out here with a mission. Remember, remember our mission is to rescue, trap people from the Satan, from Satan and the evils of this world. Now, be humble when you are trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. For if you talk meekly and courteously to them, they are more likely with God's help to turn away from their wrong ideas. Come on now and believe 
verse 26, let's add that, verse, verse 26. Then they will come to their senses, watch this, and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin. So why are they sinning? Because they're trapped. Why does that girl think she's a boy? Because she's trapped. Why does that boy think he's a woman? Because he's trapped. Why are they so promiscuous? Because they're trapped. They're trapped. They've been taken captive. Listen, if I'm sick, don't yell at me for being sick. You need to eat right. You need to take your vitamins. That, that, that ain't helping me. Does that make any sense to you? No, so when somebody is trapped in sin, don't yell at them about that sin. Thank you, Lord. They will, then they will come to their senses and, and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he uses to catch them whenever he likes. Whenever he likes. He, he uses and abuses them. Just, he has control whenever he likes. And then they can begin doing the will of God. Hallelujah. All right, now, so this, this rescue mission here is what Jesus Christ was talking about in our main text in Matthew 9. In Matthew 9. He was here to rescue people from Satan. And he never abandoned or he, and he never avoided that mission. He never abandoned and he never avoided that mission. If you were to look back at just a, just a cursory look at Matthew 8 and 9, chapter 8 and chapter 9, you'll see that he went through several miracles. This is what he was doing. He cleansed a leper. Chapter 8, cleansed a leper. Healed a centurion's servant. Healed Peter's mother-in-law. Then he cast out devils that same night. Then we see he delivered demon-possessed men. Chapter 9, he healed a paralyzed man. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He delivered a mute man and gave him his voice back. He was just, he was, you see it as just healing, but he was delivering. He was sozoing. He was rescuing. People were trapped by Satan and the evils of the world. And he went about doing this all the time. Glory to God. Now, let's look at Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 35. This is where we started tonight, right? <coughs> then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So his ministry consisted of teaching. What else? Preaching. Preaching. And what else? Healing. Healing. Teaching, preaching, healing. We know also that from what we just saw in chapters 8 and 9, he was delivering people from devils. So teaching, preaching, healing, and deliverance. Teaching is explanation. So notice it says he was teaching in the synagogues. 
Didasco is the Greek word for that. Teaching. He's explaining. People in the synagogues were those who were already uh, followers of God, followers of the law. They didn't recognize Jesus. So he get in there and, and explain to them, what you're reading about is me. <laughs> you don't understand it, but what you're reading about is me. So he was in the synagogues teaching. But out on the streets, he was preaching. Preaching means to proclaim. Teaching means to explain. Preaching simply means to proclaim. So he was proclaiming things from the kingdom of God. Decreeing things that they had not heard before. He was giving them revelation and insight into a new kingdom that had come. And then he was healing. Healing uh, and deliverance are demonstrations. So he's, he's explaining, he's proclaiming, and he's demonstrating the kingdom of God over and over and over again. Notice it says, he went about all the cities and the villages doing this. He went about all the cities and the villages doing this. He was on a circuit just doing this, teaching and preaching and healing, teaching and preaching and healing. Acts 10.38, y'all know that scripture. The Bible says how God adorned Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about went about doing good and healing all those who were pressing the devil for God was with him. All right? Now, in Acts 10.38, it says he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressing the devil. That word healing comes from the Greek word iamai, iamai, which means to cure. It means to heal. It means to make whole. Watch what else it means. To free from errors and sins. To bring about one's salvation. So when you see healing, he wasn't just laying hands and giving, giving people uh, sight and hearing and their smell back and stuff. He was also freeing people from errors and sins. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Because thank, thank God for a healing ministry. Thank God for great outreach ministry. Thank God we can feed the poor. But what good is to feed the poor and clothe the naked and give them sight and give them, give them, give them their hearing back and they die and go to hell? Y'all quiet over in this Baptist church. What good is to feed everybody, clothe everybody, and give everybody a good time and they die and go to hell? So he wasn't just healing in the traditional sense of the word healing where we say, somebody, okay, you are blind now, you see. But he's also freeing people from the errors and sins to bring about one's salvation. Glory to God. So this is what he made his whole life all about. Healing, teaching, delivering, preaching the gospel. Are you in Matthew 9? So he went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. I want you to take note that compassion is the driving force behind the mission. Hear me now. Compassion is and it must be the driving force behind the mission. In other words, we don't go and feed folk to make ourselves feel good. We don't clothe folk. We don't do good deeds so we can get our name in the paper. No. The, the, the motivation behind the mission 
must be compassion. Notice the Bible says he was moved with compassion. That, that, that term, if you, if you set it out, literally means like your bowels being moved. Anybody that had your bowels move and you just like you got to go that 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 in your in your gut. It, 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 his his he was the love and the kindness and the concern he had for, for humanity for the state of man moved him. He was moved with this compassion. Why was he teaching? Because he was moved. He wasn't teaching to get an offering. He wasn't preaching to, to, get, to get a pat on the back. He wasn't healing to get anybody to put his name in lights. He was moved with compassion. He saw fallen man and he knew that Satan had people trapped for years and years and generations in poverty and sickness and disease and depression and anxiety. And he said, I got to do something about that. He was moved with that compassion. Oh, y'all hear me tonight. When he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Pastor, how, how do I get that compassion? Because I don't feel like that. I don't feel that movement. I, I, sure, I'll volunteer if you, if you put something on, Pastor. If you, you know, the church, we're going to do see, I'll volunteer, but I'm not moved by that. How? How do you get moved by this compassion? Well, it's right in the text. But when he saw the multitudes. The word saw comes from the Greek word harao. Watch what it means. It means to see with the eye, to see with the mind. In other words, he didn't just see it. You know how y'all can, we can pass down 34th, pass down 4th, pass down ninth, and see stuff see issues, see folks struggling and we saw with our eye but go beyond that, see with the mind okay, now you're thinking about it now you're trying to perceive something, look at what it says to know, it means to see, in other words watch this, here it is to become acquainted with by experience it means to experience something he saw, so when he saw the multitudes he got in there with them he, he got in there with them. He, he, he could relate to what they were going through because he got in there with them. He didn't just pass them by like we do in the car and say, that's a shame. No, he, he stopped. He, he would have pulled his car over and say, hey, ma'am, what's your name? How long have you been in this condition? How'd you get here? What happened? Do you want to be made whole? To experience. Y'all remember in, in the book of uh, Ezekiel, I think it's right around chapter 3 somewhere, Ezekiel, when God called him, he, he, the children of Israel were captives, and the Bible says, uh, maybe like 315, somewhere around there, it says, and, and God uh, took Ezekiel, and he, he sat where they sat said Ezekiel sat where they sat. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You remember when, when, when Nehemiah had heard about the, the, the children of Judah back there and how uh, things weren't well, and he said, hey, I need to go back 
and, and, and see what's going on. He didn't run back and start building right away. He ran back and he, he, he looked. He sat. He observed. He, he wanted to see. He, he, got, he got in there with them. And many, much of the reason why in the church we don't have a compassion like he had, like Jesus had, is because we're so far removed from our old sin life. We've been saved so long we forgot what it was to be a sinner. We've been saved so long and Holy Ghost filled so long we forgot what it was to, to not be able to control your urges. I'm going to come over here. We forgot what it was to not be able to control our addictions and have to do it. We, we, we forgot what it was to, 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 to not be able to sleep at night because we have peace that passes all understanding now, but we forgot what it was back when we didn't have that to not be able to sleep through the night because we were tossing and turning and worried and frustrated and, and anxiety was taking over our, our minds. So the church seemed like the longer we're saved, the less compassionate we are. That's why it's so amazing. I love it when these new believers come in. The new believers go out and they get other new believers real right away because, because they, they, they're still, it's still fresh in their mind how I was yesterday, how I was last week, how I was last year. It's still fresh in their minds. But we can be so saved so long that we don't have compassion for the lost because, well, God delivered me. He can deliver them too. Well, somebody prayed for you. Somebody ministered to you. Somebody reached out for you. Somebody grabbed a hold of you. If not for the grace of God, there go I. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So Jesus saw the multitudes. He saw he became acquainted with them by experience. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The Bible would tell us that he would eat with publicans and sinners. Y'all, y'all, no, I can't, I can't be seen with no sinners now because, you know, I don't, I don't want to get a bad reputation. Jesus would sit. I'm talking to the wrong church. He would sit. He would sit with the destitute and the prostitute and, 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 the, and the addict. He, he would sit with them. Not because he wanted to become like them, but he could feel. He could, he could, he could hear. He got a compassion. Y'all looking at me. Y'all are so saved. Boy, I love it. 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 But Jesus, he said, he said, the heal don't need a physician. The sick do. So he would allow himself to be surrounded by the sick. And in saying that, he was answering the Pharisees who were asking, why do you sit and eat with publicans and sinners? Why do you eat with people who you shouldn't be around? 
who in our piety, we would never let ourselves be seen around those people. And he said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous to repentance. How are you going to get compassion if you never allow yourself to be around anybody? Thank you, Jesus. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Watch this. Watch this. Because, so in his observation, what he saw was they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, my Bible has a little mark by the word weary, and it says that word weary means harassed. He saw they were harassed and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Can you give, give me that same verse, please, in the Amplified Classic? I got to hurry up. I got eight minutes. Matthew 9, 36, Amplified Classic. When he saw the throngs, read it with me, ready, read. He was moved with pity. Come on. Why? Bewildered, harassed, and dejected. So what drove this compassion was he saw their miserable state, ladies and gentlemen. He saw them, and he didn't. He he saw that this wasn't just. In other words, uh, thank you, Lord. They didn't want to be this way. Y'all missing? They didn't want to be this way. They were bewildered. They were harassed. They were distressed. They were dejected and helpless. Sometimes when you're helpless and desperate, you do desperate things that are stupid. Because you can't figure anything out. You don't have any help. You don't have any wisdom. You don't have any direction. So we wonder why why they keep doing stupid stuff. They don't know any better. They're helpless. They're dejected. They're distressed. They're harassed. What we got to do is stop judging and tooting our noses up at people and say, wait a minute. I don't want to see you like that anymore. Are y'all with me on this? Give me that same verse, please, in the Living Bible. Same verse in the Living Bible. In the Living Bible. Read it with me. Ready? Read. And what pity he felt for the crowds that came because their problems were so great and they didn't know what to do What a pity he had because their problems were so great. Now I know you and I won't have any problems in the world. We're great faith giants and everything's perfect. No issues whatsoever. And if I do have an issue, I know I can use my faith and power through my issue. But in the world, you remember a day when you didn't know what to do? Remember a time when you couldn't figure out what to do? When you had no hope and no God in this world? What pity because their problems. I want you to understand, this is what Jesus is observing. This is what he's seeing. In other words, watch this. He's not, he's not observing this um, just by happenstance. He's intentionally looking and observing this. He's looking and observing intently, intentionally. He's observing their problems. And he says their problems are so great. And they, don't, they didn't know what to do or where to go for help. And he's, that moved him. That moved him. People are bad off. Everybody say people are bad off. Thank you, Lord. 
I want you to see, I want you to see, see yourself here. Look, look in this story here. Because he saw evil of epidemic proportions here. He didn't see a few people like this. Notice, notice what the Bible says. It, it, but when he saw the multitude, what does it say? But when he saw the what? The, the what? I'm, I'm in Matthew 9, 36 in, in, in the New King James. It don't matter if you look at whatever you look at. It's, it's, it's plural. If you saw a crowd of this, it'd be bad. But he's seeing crowds or multitudes. He sees this evil. He sees this degradation. He sees this deplorable condition on such, at such a magnitude. It's everywhere. It's an epidemic. That everywhere he looks, people have problems so great, they don't know, they don't know what to do or where to go for help. Now, I wonder, does that sound familiar to you and me at all? Maybe not. Does it sound familiar to anybody back in the back? That when you look around the world, you look around our city, then you see what people, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go for help. And this isn't just one or two people you know. It seems to be almost everybody you know. They're in trouble. They have problems. Great problems. And they don't know what to do, and they don't, they don't know where to go for help. They go to the government, and the government gives them a hard time. They call this group, and this, this group gives a hard time. And no matter what, all, everything runs out, and they're back there every month, month to month to month, and they, they're, they're not getting any help. Run into the doctors, and the doctors are no help. Nobody can help them. Thank you, Lord. Are y'all listening tonight? Please understand, I'm not yelling at y'all. I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm trying to, trying to paint a picture of where Jesus was here and where he wants us to be. Remember, this is a job for the church. Hallelujah. So what he saw led him to speak what we read in verses 37 and 38. 37 38. Matthew 9, 37 38. So he saw something, then he said something. He saw multitudes. He felt compassion. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How many of y'all ever heard that statement before? Now, I want you to note first that he called the multitudes of problem-riddled people the harvest. I know, I know some of y'all, you deep, and you, that make no sense to you. But did you see that? I need you to see past your, your, your intellect. That he called the multitudes of problem-riddled people the harvest. Y'all got to catch it. See, because most people think of, I got, I'm going to win the harvest. You've got to have your hand-picked idea. And there are churches, I, I've, I've seen this in America, where churches have been taught through the whole seeker-sensitive, um, uh, matter of fact, um, um, the purpose-driven church model was that you put together a list, a, 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 a picture of the kind of person you want to reach. And what we're going to do is we want to go for people in this 
mainly this age group. We want to go with people mainly in this social economic class. We want people, you know, Silicon Valley kind of people. I'm just telling you what I read and I saw them doing. This is what they apply across the country, that we're going to go for a certain group of people because we, we need, you know, a good tithing base in our church and we need certain people in our church and we need people who kind of have it together, uh, married with two kids and all that kind of stuff. They, they, and, but Jesus saw this multitudes of people who were problem riddled. Nothing but problems. And he called them the harvest. He called them the harvest. The harvest. In other words, what he's saying is don't cast away broken people. He's saying don't abandon broken people. Don't forsake, don't overlook broken people. He said, they're the harvest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Every time we see sick people, he says, that's the harvest. Every time we see broken people, that's the harvest. Every time we see people, they're hurting, they're confused, they're anxious, they're depressed, they're weary, they're worn out. He says, that's the harvest. Now, does that mean God can't save rich people and people who are married and got, got life going on? No, that, he can save anybody. But he's saying, I, I don't want you to overlook, skip over the ones who got problems trying to get to one who has the gold ring on. Because the mass majority of people on this planet are problem riddled. Lives are filled with problems. And he said, that's the harvest. That's the harvest. So every time you see somebody like that, you should be thinking harvest. I said every time you see somebody like that, you should be thinking harvest. <laughs> Hallelujah. Notice what he says here. He says the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. So the harvest is plentiful. It's all around us. Y'all got it? They're broken people, deep. But it's a future preacher. So future musician in that harvest. It's, it's future husbands and future wives in that harvest. And teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists, they're, they're in that harvest. And because they're not already suited up in a three-piece suit and tie, we will overlook them because they, they don't already have their hair laid and you know, all that kind of stuff. We overlook them. But, the, but Jesus says that's the harvest. Thank you, Jesus. In John 4, 35 to 38, I'm almost done. Give me just a couple extra minutes. John 4, 35 to 38. Jesus is there. He's ministered to the woman at the well who was an outcast herself. And she's run to tell everybody in town, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Disciples have gone to get food and they come back and they said, hey, um, we, where'd you get food? He said, he said, my meat is to do the will of my father. Then he goes on to say in verse 35, he says, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white. When he's saying this, all those people of Samaria are coming to him. Samaritans were the dogs of society. The outcasts, the Jews had no dealings with them. They were, they were the ones nobody wanted to come around or be around. Right, right. 
And Jesus says, you see that? See that large multitude of people coming now? He says, that's the harvest. He says, don't, don't, say, don't, don't, don't say this till four months. I'm telling you, the harvest is right now. It's already white. And in the church, we have a, we have a mentality that one day God's going to bring in a big harvest. And God is saying, no, the harvest is all around you. They're, they're dying out there in the fields. It's white already. White meaning it's ready. Ready to be, to be picked, to be plucked. Y'all got this here. Matthew 9, 37. Matthew 9, 37. Give it to me in the easy read version, please. Matthew 9, 37, the easy read version. Jesus said this, said to his followers. I want you to catch this here. There is such a big harvest of people to bring in. There's such a big harvest of people to bring in. But there are only a few workers that help harvest them. A lot of people to bring in. Verse 38. Verse 38. You can put it up in the New King James fine. Yeah, thank you. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Okay. Now, remember I read verses, chapters 8 and 9. We looked at that, how all the healings that he did. Yes? yes Many healings. He preached a lot of people. Chapter 8. Chapter 9, we got all through this, all these healings and preaching that he did. He went everywhere in verse 35, teaching, preaching, healing. But he looks at his multitudes, these multitudes, he's moved with compassion, and he says the harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send our labors into, the harvest, into his harvest. What he said is, catch this, at the risk of sounding sounding uh, heretical. He said, this is too big for me. You got got to catch it. He's Jesus. But he looks out on this multitude, on multitudes, and says, hey, we got to pray for the Lord to send people out here. This is too much for me. Y'all got to catch it. Do y'all remember my title tonight? What was it now? He said, this is too much for me. This harvest is too big for me. I I can only do so much. Remember now, I know you know, okay, he's Jesus. He's the son of the living God. But he came here as a human being. So he has the limitations of being human, which meant as a human, he can only be in one place at one time. He couldn't appear and reappear everywhere he wanted to. Not, not before the cross. He's stuck in one place at one time. We know from John 4, we just read about in John 4, the reason he was there that well was because he got tired. So as a human being, he got tired. So he couldn't minister to everybody all the time. We know that another time, he told the disciples, hey, let's get away for a while. We need to go rest. The reason he was on, on the boat in Mark 4 and he was asleep was because he was tired. As a human being, there's only so much Jesus could do. So he said, this harvest is so great. I can't do it all myself. We need help, boys. So what are we going to do? We're going to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into 
his harvest. He only had a certain amount of time, Deke. He knew he wasn't here always. He's only going to be here three and a half years. Only three and a half years. In John, John 9, verse 4, he said this, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. John 9, 4, put it on the screen. John 9, verse 4, I must work the works on, put it on the screen, John 9, 4. John 9, 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. So he knew he only had a certain amount of time. He's looking at multitudes. Well, here comes the church. Here comes the church. So he gives now heaven's solution to earth's problem. What's the solution? We're going to pray for laborers to pull in this harvest. I said we're going to pray for laborers to pull in this harvest. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to look at that Matthew 9, 38 in the easy to read version. Glory to God. I got to hurry. God owns the harvest. Now they got all kind of problems. Y'all missed it. <laughs> Remember he called them the harvest. They harassed, they abused, they broken, got all kind of issues, and God calls them the harvest. So it says God owns the harvest. He says ask him to send more workers to help gather his harvest. Give me the same verse, Amplified Classic, please. Amplified Classic. So pray, this is, this is important. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to force out and thrust laborers into his harvest. The reason Amplified Classic says, says that because when you read the phrase send out, you read it in the Greek, it, it denotes violence. And it knows violence that God has to push people out to get that harvest. Y'all get it. In other words, God has given me this message tonight to get every one of us out of our comfort zone. To get us off of our duffs, off of our lazy boy chairs. He said, hey, there's harvest out there and it's going to die if you don't get up and go get it. And I want you to have compassion yes, for the multitudes. Yes, so I want you to be shaken up by what you see. Yes. I want you to be moved by what you see. I want you to feel what I feel. I want you to have a heart that I have so that you go out and get, I'm going to force you out to get that harvest. Yes, Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to thrust out, to force out laborers into his harvest. So notice we got to pray. We got to pray. Because the harvest doesn't just come in by itself. The harvest must be gathered. So we must pray the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. Last place, John 14. John 14. This is a job for the church. <coughs> so this is a job for the church. Verse 12. 
through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, come on now. Now, wait, 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 wait. Before we get to the greater now, what works did he do? He was teaching, preaching, and healing every sick and delivering. So the works that I do, that he did, he said, you and I will do also. So here's the mission. Remember now, the mission was here before the church was here. Did y'all forget that? So the mission beat us here. Y'all get this here? So when you join the church, you join the mission. And when you come to church, you're trying to figure out, I don't know what I'm, what I'm supposed to be doing. What's my purpose, Lord? I don't know what am I here for. Well, the mission was already here when you came. Not just of this church, but of the church universal. Y'all getting this good enough? So my calling is to teach and preach and heal and deliver. Praise God. Well, I ain't been ordained. You ain't got to be ordained to teach and preach and heal and deliver. The works I do, you're going to do. Also. And then greater works than these shall you do. Now we can argue and debate about what greater means, but let's just deal with it in the simplest, simplest term. Greater even in the quantity of the works. Because he was only here three and a half years. He was stuck in one place at one time. He didn't have a jet to ride to fly anywhere. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't get on. He didn't have the internet to preach the gospel. He couldn't, he couldn't get on Instagram or YouTube and preach the gospel. He, was, he could only preach where he was. He was limited by space and time and matter. But here we are having him on the inside of us. And remember what he said. The works I do shall you do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Well, what happened when he went to the father? The Holy Ghost was released. So now the spirit of Jesus Christ is now on the inside of every one of us. So now corporately we can do greater works than he ever did. Now, wow, that's big. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Because John 21 says this. That if we, if we had everything he ever did recorded, all the books in the world could contain everything he ever did. So there are things that we don't even know he did that are not even recorded in the this, in this scripture. It said all the volume of the books of the world couldn't contain all the works that Jesus did. And he said, yet greater works than these shall you do because I go to my father. Are y'all hearing this tonight? Verse 13 and 14. Let's take these verses now in context because we like to use these verses as solo scriptures, but they're not solo scriptures. Verse 13. And. Now, and, help me out, you English majors. Is and a conjunction? Just say yes. And is a conjunction, which means it joins two thoughts together, two phrases together. So when you see and, whatever you ask in my name, that means related to what he just said. So this isn't just you saying, well, whatever I ask in his name, okay, I'm asking for a car. I'm asking God for a new diamond ring. This is talking about greater works. See, y'all didn't like that, y'all. 
Y'all prosperity pigs. He's talking about when you ask, ask for something that's going to help get this harvest in. You're going to do greater works than I did. So now why don't you ask for the jet so you can preach the gospel everywhere? Why don't you ask for the building so you can house people? Not so you can have multiple bedrooms in your house. He'll do it. God will do all that. I'm not denying all that. What I'm saying is when you ask, he says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. But the Father may be glorified not in you, in the Son. We're trying to do the works that the Son did. So now when I ask for healing, I can I say, God, I want to operate in the gifts of healing. Not so I can get business cards to get my following. Because I want to set people free from the traps and the bondages of the wicked one. People who've been sick their whole lives, generation to generation to generation. I'm asking you to give me the gift of faith. I'm asking you to give me the working of miracles. I'm asking you to give me a word of knowledge. I'm asking you to give me a word of wisdom. I'm asking you to give me that to do greater works. I was out, I was walking the other day and I was praying and I was praying just reminding God, God, I, I want to continuously flow in the gifts of the spirit. And I said, God, search me, search me in my heart because I want to make sure I, I have only love in my heart. Faith works by love. All the gifts operate through compassion, through love. And if we have anything in our hearts that's not, not loving, then we stop the flow of the gifts of the spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are not for us to magnify ourselves. The gifts of the Spirit are for us to minister to people and set them free. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And the Bible goes through 1 Corinthians 12 about all these gifts that we, you and I should operate in, but then he goes out by saying, yet I show you a more excellent way. And he goes into chapter 13 and explains how love operates because the gifts must be based and founded in love. So the reason Jesus Christ operated in this such a, uh, the spirit without measure was because he was moved with compassion. So the Bible says the spirit without measure, he was loving and compassionate. And if you and I would love and see people in need, then we can flow. So then we start asking whatever we ask in his name. He said, I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. Verse 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. We can ask for the heathen. We can ask for the drug addict. We can ask for the homosexual. We can ask for the lesbian. We can ask for the transgender to be turned back to who they supposed to be. I wish y'all would say something back to me. We can ask for that drug addict to be delivered and set. We can ask for that one who's paralyzed on all four to be delivered. And we can ask for that. When we see that problem as the harvest and let compassion fill our hearts, we can do it. This is a job for the church. This is a job for the church. God gave a church for his mission. His mission is to win lost man back to himself. You understand how it hurt God's heart when Adam sinned? 
how disappointed God was that he had now no fellowship with his own man that he loved. And he's been working ever since then to get man back to himself. So when you and I see somebody lost and dying and broken and hurting, see them as part of the harvest. That our job is to get God's family back, to get God's family back to him, and that we can flow. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to be saved 20 years before you walk in spiritual gifts and anointing. No, just have compassion. Just have compassion. Just see that harvest and say, God, I'm going to get that harvest. I'm going to get that harvest. I'm going to bring lost souls into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord. What, what scripture did I give y'all in John 4? Go back to John 4. Uh, I gave y'all, what was it? Okay, pick up 38. Give me the rest of that chapter. 35 to 38. Yeah, 38. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Is there another? Give me verse 39. Is there? Give me verse 39. What's this? What's it say, D? And many other Samaritans in the city believed on him. Okay, go, go back to 37. Maybe, maybe I, I went ahead. I went too far, maybe. 30, 37, John 4, 37. Go to 36. I'm trying to see. There it is. There it is. And he who reaps. And he who reaps. You want to get paid? He said, and he who reaps. Receives wages. If you go out there and be one of those laborers in the harvest, he said, I'm going to pay you. I'll take good care of you. You want to raise? Start getting that harvest in here. And he who reaps receives wages. If you go work in my vineyard, whatever is right, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to take, care, take good care of you. Because you're working for me in my vineyard. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, tonight for the word. I thank you for giving us this eye-opening revelation to understand, Father, that the harvest is all around us. The harvest is plentiful. That, God, there are people around us who are broken and hurting. They're in trouble. Lives are filled with trouble. People who do some stupid things, but God, they don't know any better. <laughs> Jesus himself said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, so when we see people doing disastrous and horrible things, things that we couldn't imagine ourselves doing now, help us to remember that of such we were some of them. Some of us were just like that. Now we're washed. Now we're sanctified. Now we're justified. But God, there was a time we were trapped in that same darkness, same lifestyles, same troubles. 
riddled with problems. But God, you reached down and you saved us. Even as we heard that word Sunday night, found us waddling in our, swaddling, waddling in our own blood, waddling in our own blood. And you said, live. And now we live. Help us to have the same compassion for others who may be wallowing in sin all kinds of problems let us be compassionate Father give us a heart like yours give us a heart like yours take out stony hearts and put in hearts of flesh forgive us for being so super saved that we've forgotten we've can't even relate to what it was to be lost Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us if we've gotten haughty and arrogant even in our, in our sanctification. We thank you for that, Lord. It's you doing the work. By grace we saved through faith, not of our works. We have no, no reason, no right to boast. Nothing we've done. There was nothing good in us whatsoever. God, if you had snatched us out of the devil's hands, we'd still be lost and dying, if not already dead in a devil's hell. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving us. I pray that God, you'll help us to see others and reach out, reach out to even build new relationships with people that we don't know or people that we've shunned no, we don't have to be like them. But we need to get to know them. And see what's gotten them where they are. Why they think the way they think. Why they do what they do. Teach us how to be courteous and kind and respectful and just, just nice. God, I heard, heard Bishop Vaughn say that it's okay if people hate us because of God because of you but it's not okay if people hate you because of us it's okay if people hate us because of you but Lord it's not okay if people hate you because of us forgive us for arrogance and hardness forgive us for being unapproachable forgive us for any self-righteousness God, I pray that, God, we would be so loving, so kind, so courteous, like the early church, the Acts 2 church. They were praising God and having favor with all people. That's why people were being added daily. They saw something. They saw something that was attractive. And God, we pray as a church, we will be attractive. And we'd be praising you and have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and in our mouths and smiles on our faces all the time. And that we would have faith with people, that people who may not agree with how we live or, or what we believe, but God, they'll, we'll have faith with them and they'll be attracted and begin to ask the hope that is within us. What's the reason? Why are we smiling? Why are we rejoicing? Why are we still looking up? We tell them about Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. 
Jesus died for us. Jesus was raised again for us. God, we don't want to be guilty of pointing anybody to us. We want to point all men to Jesus. We don't want anybody to become followers of us. We want them to become followers of Jesus. We're not trying to make our own disciples. We want to make disciples for Jesus. Baptizing them and then teaching them how to live and follow the things that you've given us to do. Give us boldness to preach your word. Stretch forth your hand to heal. Let miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Everywhere we go, use us. Thank you that God, whatever we ask, in Jesus' name, he said he will do. He will do. He will do that Jesus may be glorified and you may be glorified in Jesus, Father. And I pray, Father, that Lord, as a church, we will be mobilized. 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 To bring in that harvest. We pray the Lord of the harvest. You're the Lord of the harvest. You own the harvest. We pray to you. Thrust us into the harvest. Thrust us into the harvest. Let nobody come here and just sit and be settled, but thrust us into the harvest. To bring lost and dying men and women, boys and girls, into the safety, the ark of safety, which is Jesus Christ. We thank you for many souls that are coming many souls that will come. We give you praise in advance for all of them. Thank you for giving us opportunity to serve you. We love you. We bless you. We honor you. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't you give God a great praise tonight. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Let's be dismissed. Hallelujah.